welcome to the other side of the bed, episode three, there is a crisis among us. So I'm going to jump right into one of the reasons why I did actually start this podcast, what got my juices flowing was over the recent months, and as you can see in the news, there is an increased concern over the nursing shortage, over a healthcare shortage altogether. But the nursing shortage is kind of in the spotlight because more nurses are leaving the profession than are applying to get into the field. And then there's a lot of um, people leaving, new grads not really sticking it out as they get into the field and start working. And there's a lot of stress that comes with it. So we are on the brink of a crisis. And as I go to work every day, I hear little bits and pieces and our patients come in. And like I have mentioned, I live in Key West, Florida. We have one little tiny hospital. So if you need a level of care that cannot be done here, you get transferred out to another facility, usually in Miami. Well, in this instance, I had been noticing some of our patients had been getting sent to Miami to this one particular hospital and they come back and it's really hard to figure out what type of care they had, had, what type of care they had and what do they need. So crazy enough, we had several patients come back. One in particular who had come in, he needed you know, to continue with his wound care. He basically, you know, will eventually need surgery. Anyway, he brought in his medical record and was beside himself because in his medical record, it documented in his HMP by a doctor that this man had had a hemorrhagic stroke some time ago. And there was a detailed description of a patient that had had a hemorrhagic stroke in the past However, it was not him. He had never had one. And now that is in his permanent medical record. (laughs) So he could not believe um, that somebody would actually write this about him because he said to me, this is obviously somebody else's history in my chart. And he was going to try and get in touch with the hospital to, to make a formal complaint because it does say he has had a hemorrhagic stroke in the past and he definitely did not. We had another patient come in that said she needed to continue taking her blood thinner. She was never on a blood thinner when she went to the hospital. She was not on one when she left the hospital. However, her discharge instructions told her to make sure she she continued to take her blood thinner. So all these things have been going on, and I was like, is it really that bad, you know, somewhere else? I mean, I know kind of from talking to nurses and whatever, the hospital down here, it's all travelers. There is nobody there with experience. The majority of the experienced nurses have either left, moved away, quit, found, you know, another job outside of the hospital because of the conditions, what it's like working in the hospital. And um, so I just assumed that maybe it was just down here. Well, not the case. So I personally had an issue with going into the hospital recently, not for myself, but for my daughter. My daughter, back in January, was uh, December, rather, was being worked up for seizures. We had seen a neurologist, and she had an episode in the office that warranted an EEG. We had the EEG. The EEG had abnormal spikes. 
which required more testing. So we were in the process of getting testing. This is like right before Christmas into January. So about the second week of January, she had her MRI and we were waiting for her to do a three-day EEG at the end of the month. She was at school and she had texted me from school and said, I feel really dizzy. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And I said to her, did you eat today? Did you drink anything? And she didn't answer. Well, unfortunately, I did not pick her up from school that day. My friend had to go get her for me because I was doing procedures with the doctor in the office. And when they came back, um, both her and my friend were beside themselves because she had apparently passed out when she was walking out of school. So she said to me, my daughter said to me, she goes, my I was talking to my friends and all of a sudden I felt it. I felt like it was going to pass out. And she looked at them and she said, I'm going to go down. And she went down, but she said she didn't, she could still hear people talking. So she didn't completely lose consciousness. And she just said she was very, very dizzy. So they were thought they were going to have to call an ambulance, but she was able to get up and come to my office. So I knew right away if I took it to the ER, telling them that she's being worked up for seizures you know, is this like a syncopal episode or was this like some type of seizure event? There is no treatment down here for epilepsy initially. So if you have a seizure, you have to go to the mainland. So I didn't send her to the hospital. I called my husband. I had him take her to the local urgent care because I knew them. I knew who worked there. And, uh, the PA had called me and advised us that I probably needed to take her to an emergency room. If I didn't want to take her down here, I should take her up to Miami. So that is what I did. I got off of work. We drove to Miami. Two and a half, three, three and a half hours. We get there. It's just before midnight. Um, We go to the children's hospital, which I've always taken my kids there. Um, That's where her neurologist is out of. We've always had great care. The staff is very nice. The place is very, the hospital is very, very clean. It's very well organized. Um, So we go in, they triage her, and they take us back right away. But however, we were in the room for almost an hour and a half before anybody came to talk to us. And then who came to talk to us was a resident, and I understand it's a teaching hospital, no big deal. She took, you know, my daughter's story, Um, She even asked me at one point to step out of the room. I'm sure they have to ask her questions, you know, that she would probably answer more honestly if I'm not in the room with her. And then I came back in and then she basically said, I'm going to discuss this with my attending and I will be back. It was about another hour before she came back to decide that due to the fact that we were in the middle of being worked up for um, seizures, they were going to admit her. And I said, okay. And she said, that way, we're going to send it to the floor. Neurology will come consult, and they'll, they'll take it from there. I said, that was fine. She said, my attending will come in and talk to you as well. Okay, that never happened. About another an hour and a half goes by. I felt like this was the longest night ever. A nurse comes in to start her IV and tell us he's going to take us to the floor. Starts her IV, and I noticed he didn't bring any tubes to draw blood. And I was like, well, this is strange. I guess they're going to just do this on the floor. So we get up, we go to the floor. Um, the nurses, it's late. It's like 4.30 in the morning. The nurses get a quick history and physical. I fall asleep. 
um, my daughter falls asleep. I get woken up. You know, they start to come in, wake everybody up. And a doctor comes in that I'm assuming is like a house doctor. I'm not really sure. She didn't have any type of specialty. So, and it didn't say pediatrician. Regardless, she was, you know, a type of physician. And she woke me up and she said, listen, we're going to have neurology come and see her. And, um, you know, and then hopefully you'll get some answers. And I said, okay. And I said to her, are you guys going to do any blood work? And she looked at me hesitantly and she said, blood work? No. Why would we do that? And I said, well, I don't, I don't know. Isn't that what you do? She goes, no, I don't think it's necessary. Okay. We'll let that go. So as they're doing my daughter's vital signs, her pulse, her heart rate is in the 40s. It's 45. And that's not normal for her as far as I know. I mean, anytime she's ever went to the doctor, I I think it's always been in like the 70s. So it was like, oh, it's 45. Well, they all freak out. Um, The charge nurse comes in. They say they're going to call cardiology. They do um, her blood pressure, laying down, sitting and standing up, which they say she kind of responded uh, appropriately. And they consult the cardiologist. So the cardiologist comes in. It's him. It's two attendings and three residents. So he's talking to me and we go through the whole story of what happened, which her story did as a nurse and being an ICU nurse and doing a lot of cardiac stuff sounded like she had a syncopal episode, which is syncope. So he goes on to tell me that he thinks it's vasovagal sympathy because syncope, not sympathy, syncope, because she um, is not drinking enough water, which she admitted that she wasn't drinking enough water and that this is where her heart rate is as a response to her not having enough hydration. So she crossed her threshold and she passed out. And I said, however, to me, she's still kind of symptomatic because she's exhausted. She can't open her eyes. Um, She's very lethargic. I don't know. And he said, no, I'm going to order studies to check her thyroid because she did put on a lot of weight since COVID, she did the COVID 50, you know, really wasn't active. And, uh, I said, okay, that would be fine. But he really just assumed that that is vasal, vasal syncope. Okay. So they put her on a monitor and this monitor, every time she went down, her heart rate went down to 50. She would say to me, I feel really tired. I just got to close my eyes. And then she would go to sleep. She would go to sleep heart rate would drop into the 40s at one point it dropped to 38 where I jumped up I actually had to shake her to get her to wake up she was out and she described them as when her heart rate felt low like she had a cold feeling in her chest I'm like this can't be normal this can't be because she she's not drinking anything now mind you everybody had come in you know, always asked us if we need anything. If I said I needed something, they brought it to us. But there was no, oh, you need to drink more water. Let me get you a pitcher of water. Or him ordering, you know, making sure the nurses do like an intake and output. Make sure, let's see what she what she's doing. No, none of that. So finally, the charge nurse comes in. And what I can say about all the nurses and the staff at this hospital was they were extremely young. I don't think they were over 25, with the exception of the charge nurse, who was probably older than me. And to me, she reminded me of like a mother hen guiding her chicks, you know, on how to get through life. That's how I felt. Now, the nurses were 
nice, attentive. They, you know, made you feel comfortable. But there was something missing. There was like an element of critical thinking missing. Like it was like having all these pieces of a puzzle laid out on a table, but you didn't know which piece connected to the other. That's the only way I could describe it. So anyway, she comes in and, and she said, her heart rate's really low. I said, I know. And they, they think it's because she's not hydrated. I said, she has a, a head block. Why don't they order her some IV fluid? I said, because really, I'm trying to get her to drink. She's just not into it. And she's also just, all she wants to do is sleep. So I'm forcing her to drink in between. Like I'm waking her up. I'm like, sip this, sip this, sip this. And then she falls back to sleep. She said, that's a good idea. I'm going to call them. So they come in, they start IV fluids. I'm really excited. So this should give her a boost, right? Maybe this will help her cry. About 20 minutes later, the same doctor who came in and told me she didn't need lab said, I know you want IV fluids. We're not going to give the whole bag. We're only going to give it for a couple of hours because I really want you to drink yourself. I said, well, the problem is that she's not drinking herself. So I just thought maybe this can help her because from my school of thought, when you're dehydrated that much, it's really hard for you to intake what you need to replace so that's why you end up in the hospital and that's why you end up getting an IV but you know what what do I know obviously I'm wrong so sure enough not even two hours goes by and they stop it I don't even think she had 200 cc's which is 200 milliliters which just so you know is not even an eight ounce glass of water of IV fluid I was like wow that was quick so I said to the nurse please bring me in a big pitcher of water she didn't want the Gatorade she did drink some almond milk she's eating she's just really not taking in a lot of fluid whatever in the meantime the neurologist comes they decide they get her history I can't tell you how many people we talked to and it was like you're talking telling your story and that's the story doesn't have an ending because nobody knows what to do next that's what I felt like so the neurologist comes in she says which really that's what they thought they were there we were there for um you know the heart rate thing is an incidental finding we were really there to make sure she wasn't having a seizure they're going to put her on a seizure they're going to monitor her overnight with a camera and a cap and the whole nine yards if you don't know what that is it's like a 24 hour it's an eeg and it monitors the brain waves in your head so for this they put like a big camera on a stand um, with a computer and she had wires in her head and it was remote so she had like a stocking on her head with these wires underneath and it monitored her it was going to monitor her overnight so when she had that on she really couldn't move or get out of bed she was stuck in the bed and we can just go back and forth to the bathroom and that was it so she slept most of the time and that damn monitor kept going on and on and on every time her heart rate went below 50 and I would jump out of the bed and I, I was hitting the silence button. I was an ICU nurse. I can't tell you how much I wanted to shut the alarm off. No, I can't do that. However, it was so annoying because it kept happening and she would sleep right through it. So anyway, we spent all night with me jumping out of the bed, practically shaking her to wake her up to get her heart rate above 50. And the next day, the neurologist comes in and said, you know, we really didn't see any seizure activity. So we're going to keep it on for a couple of hours and then we'll have to make a decision, which I was kind of bummed about because if 
they did see something they would put her on medication her not knowing we would just go home not knowing we just spent another 24 hours there not knowing what the next step was but we did it to be safe right okay so in the meantime she's still lethargic sleeping and at some point another doctor comes in and it's a pediatrician she introduced herself as a pediatrician and she said oh how you feeling and my daughter said you know I'm just really tired I'm really dizzy you know it just doesn't go away I don't know what's wrong and I can just close my eyes and go to sleep and she said I feel like once my heart rate hits 50 I just want to close my eyes and lay down and literally that's what she was doing the entire time we were there I mean I'm sitting here looking at her that's that's what our the last 48 hours of our life 24 48 hours of her life have been me watching her full sleep and so she said well now this is a kicker and she goes well everything was normal or your all your lab work and your urine was normal and I looked at her and I said excuse me and she said well all her labs and urine were normal I said what labs and urine she didn't have any and she said she turned beet red and she said what do you mean I said the only lab she had drawn was a TSH thyroid studies was to check her thyroid I said nothing else there's no um, CBC CMP which is you know your to make sure you're not anemic her electrolyte levels nothing was done not even a urine now I don't think my daughter is sexually active and I don't think she's doing drugs but just so anybody knows from where I come from the nursing that I have done in the past is when you work in an emergency room and somebody comes in no matter of their age and it's syncope and it's a teenager up you're getting a urine first of all she's female she's 17 she could be pregnant she could have done drugs it, do I want to think that no but that's something you do religiously the last time and I think about this about a year and a half ago she said she passed out at school nobody witnessed it I took it to the ER. They checked her blood sugar and they did a urine. They checked her for drugs and they made sure she wasn't pregnant. She was 16 at the time. That's what you do. So now here I am in the hospital for over 24 hours. None of that was done. And now this lady is standing in front of me telling me it's all normal. What's normal? It wasn't done. The the red flag that went off in my head was unreal. Because disjointed healthcare was in front of my face. I had all these doctors coming in and interviewing her. I have all these nurses coming in and talking to her. Obviously, they're not talking to each other. How this doctor got in her room to ask her her story without even looking at her chart? Whose labs did you look at? Or are you just making it up because that's what somebody told you? Everything was normal. Are you just taking somebody else's word without looking at my daughter's chart yourself? I'm a nurse. I could see all these red flags. I knew the questions to ask. What about these parents of these children or parents of caregivers or anybody who can't speak up for themselves? Who is their advocate? I was in shock. And now I know why these patients that go from Key West to Miami and come back with a thousand page autobiography of their life, or I should not autobiography, a biography of their life and you have no idea what care they got and what the next step is in their care, this is why it's in front of my face. I'm living it. My daughter's living it.
So, of course, they come, they do her blood work, and the doctor, who said she didn't need it, she came in to tell us we were discharged because after the neurologist came back to us and said they really didn't see anything, they were going to take off the EEG monitor and we can go home. I said, fine, let's get out of here at this point. I'm so floored that there is no communication here between the nurses and the doctors and I don't blame the nurses at all. The nurses were great. They were very attentive. Again, they were very young and something that I noticed was missing from when I was immersed is that there was no experience on that floor and you have residents who were learning with nurses with no experience. So who's overseeing what's being done correctly? The one charge nurse that was there, and again, the nurses were phenomenal. Everything I asked for, if the alarm went off, they were there. They came in to check on us frequently. But the thing is, is they didn't really look to see what was really going on. They couldn't see that, wow, she passed out and nobody did any blood work. What if she's anemic? What if she has an electrolyte imbalance? What if she has an electrolyte imbalance and that's what caused the seizure? These are all the things that are running through my mind. Now, I wasn't a pediatric nurse and I know I know children are differently, but pediatric, when, when you are in pediatrics, that's from the moment you are birthed, you come out of the birth canal, until you're 18 years old. There's a big span in age and how a patient is treated from being one day old to 18 years old. It's different. So really, yes, she's in a pediatric ward, but 17, she's the size of an adult. Not to mention, she's on medication. She was on amoxicillin for um, a sore throat for bacterial infection. They didn't do strep, but it looked like strep, so they prescribed her antibiotics, which they were giving her. She was on her antidepressant medicine, and she was also on um, Adirax, which is like prescription Benadryl to help her sleep that deals with anxiety because that's what they give. So I think, as me being the nurse and trying to figure out what's wrong with my daughter, that could be the issue. So my friend who works in psych said to me, that could be the medication. So don't you know we came home and her and I made a plan, spoke to her psychiatrist, and we decided to cut out the Adirax and cut back on her sotroline. Don't you know she's a little bit better? But again, I spent two days in the hospital. They looked at her meds. The cardiologist came in. Nobody knew that. I had to figure it out myself. I can't even say that's the end-all be-all, but I, all I can tell you is I did this, and it, it seems to be better. I still took her to a cardiologist anyway. Um, she did wear a halter monitor for 24 hours and we did a sleep study. I'm going to rule everything out that I can because I don't feel comfortable with her having a heart rate in the 40s. I don't. I just don't. I can't sleep well at night. I couldn't sleep well when we got home that night. Driving home when we left the hospital, she was out snoring like she hadn't slept in a year. I couldn't wake her up. I had a pullover. I pulled into um, a fast food place. And shook her to get her up to say, hey, let's get something to eat. Because I just wanted her to get up because she was out to lunch. I couldn't believe it. So anyway, that's where I am. (laughs) Where there is a crisis among us. So I'm going to dive into 
the craziness of the nursing shortage because what concerns me is there are a lot of young nurses and nobody is guiding them and that's what I fear is leading to the burnout where they're running away from the bedside and who is at fault it's not the nurse's fault it's not even the doctor's fault I think it's the institutions in which we work in I think hospitals have made the condition so unbearable that nobody wants to face the big white elephant in the room. And that is my goal for 2023. I'm going to face the big white elephant in the room. So to me, the big fat, the big fat white elephant in the room are hospitals, are the institutions that employ everybody. It's almost like they know they need nurses. You know you need doctors. You need healthcare workers to run your business. They're running them like a business. They want to make a profit on people suffering an illness. You can't make a profit on people suffering an illness. You can't. And it's no surprise that there's a nursing shortage. Prior to COVID, I read an article right before COVID, how they were predicting a nursing shortage because there wasn't enough faculty in nursing programs that they could only take a certain amount of people at a time into a nursing program because they didn't have enough faculty to educate them. That was there before COVID. Now after COVID, with the um, mass exodus due to burnout, exhaustion, you know, new grads got thrown into these COVID units because they were young and healthy. So they were, you know, forced to kind of get thrown into COVID units. This is what I've heard from people, Um, you know, people, family, nurses, new nurses, and family members of nurses that um, they graduated in that time of COVID. And so it was really not a good time to start your nursing career out during COVID. It, It probably was terrible because that's not how nursing is supposed to be. That's not how healthcare is supposed to be. And it was a big, huge uncertain you know factor this pandemic nobody had been in a pandemic in how long so how to try and start off in one talk about a roller coaster with some missing uh, spindles so i truly believe though the only one who has control of maintaining employees is the hospital and Yes, salary is a factor. The other factor is is all these hospitals didn't want to pay these nurses up until the crisis where then they were traveling and travel nurses are making a ridiculous amount of money. But the staff nurses that have stuck it out are not getting any money. They're not getting a raise. Their health benefits are minimal to none. I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, it's not, it's not a, it was no surprise. The writing was on the wall that there was going to be a nursing shortage because of who wants to work and put your, and put your life at risk every day when you may not be able to go home and pay your rent or your mortgage. Who wants to do that? I don't, I don't know. This is why we're in the situation that we're in. And if hospitals were willing to pay nurses $5,000 a week, $6,000 a week because of the shortage. That means you can pay that all the time. Or you have money 
to pay nurses more to prevent them leaving. You need to have employees who are satisfied so they stay with you. It's an investment. If it's your business, it's an investment. You invest in your business, which means you need good team players to make your business shine. And that has never, in all the years that I have been in Florida, has been, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not the purpose. The purpose is not to maintain employees. You know, down here, I, I've talked about it. There's a for-profit hospital. It's about them making a profit. It's not about no satisfaction, patient satisfaction, anybody's satisfaction. They just want to make sure they're turning over a profit. So in the next episode, I will continue with the crisis that is upon us. I'm going to jump into um, different types of nursing programs that have been released to combat the nursing shortage, as well as the difference between a for-profit and a not-for-profit hospital, because this is huge. And this is one of the reasons why I think healthcare is uh, taking a turn the way it is. So, ciao for now. See you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.